everyone. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, someone early before first service goes, are you speaking today? And I said, yeah. And they go, oh, thank God. <laughs> they, said, they, they said they were watching the game last night going, what is Pastor Jake going to do tomorrow? <laughs> but it, already, it was already, we should have known because it was already planned that I was going to speak. So we should have known. It was ominous. No. Uh, So good to see everybody this morning. Hey, it's November. So um, I know you guys are all excited about the one thing that happens every November. And everyone knows what it is. No one's going to be shocked by what I'm going to say. But it's the Golden Gnome Hunt at World Market. (laughs) Is there anyone in this room that has ever... Oh, thank you. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Okay, every November, World Market does this, uh, that's a store, in case you're like, what are you saying? This is a store. World Market does this hunt. You search for a golden gnome, or maybe some years it's a golden Santa, this year it's a golden gnome, and uh, they have four hidden in the store in the morning, then they have four hidden in the store in the afternoon, and you just go in and you're looking for this thing. If you find one, you could get a gift card for worth 20, or 50, or $100, so... (laughs) You guys are like, this is not worth my time. Okay, but so I, I love this hunt. And if, a few years ago, um, I think I was talking about it. I just heard about it, never heard about it before. And Kayla Dale, she was like, oh, I, I, yeah, I've done that before. I went yesterday. And she probably had won yesterday. And I'm like, oh, you've done it? Is it fun? And she's like, yeah, you want to meet me there? And I was like, yeah. And I think at this point, I think she was pregnant with Elliot. So I, but I had all three of my children. So we, I'm like, yeah, I'll meet you there. And our, my kids will help us hunt. They didn't help us hunt. The whole time it was like, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that. Come here, come here. What are you doing? Please help, please help, right? So I, I have gone, and Kayla, like, finds them so easily. I remember this day, she just walked right over and was like, I found it. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't. And, and she was like, I'll help you. No, I, I, I don't find them. I search, I search, I don't find them. And this is what happens every year. And I've already gone this year. In case you think she's recovered and she doesn't do this anymore. No, I still, I've done it. A few times this year, I have yet to win, okay? But I go. I'm always hopeful. I'm, I, you know, I can see it. I, like, I don't really believe like, in manifesting the way everyone's talking about it today, but this is what I'm doing. I can see the golden gnome. I see it there by the green pillows or wherever, right? And I'm like, I see it. I see myself getting it. I see myself winning. I open it. It's $100, right? I can see myself. I'm so full of hope. I'm so excited. I'm like pumped up. I'm ready to go. I get into the store. I start looking around. I'm still full of hope, but it, it isn't working out quite as I had planned, right? They're not next to the green pillows. That's okay. You know, I'm going to find it. I start looking and then I start seeing other people find it. You know, you're like, oh, there's three left. Okay. That's okay. And then pretty soon, oh, there's two left. All right. It's all right. It's okay. One left. Okay. I'm not finding it today. Today's not my day. It's not happening. I've looked at every single thing they have there. They're out to get me. It's not going to happen, right? And every single time, I would leave the store feeling so mad, so angry. Why did you do this again, Bethany? Why did you drive all the way down here? You wasted your time. You've you've gone on this emotional roller coaster. Why do you do this to yourself? And yet, I always am going back in November to World Market. And at, this week, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, man, this must be what dating feels like. <laughs> You're like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to be hurt again. 
I'm ready to get disappointed again. You know, you're ready to go. You can see yourself finding the right one. You know, pretty soon there's, there's four great guys left. There's four great ladies left. Oh, nope, now there's three. Now there's two. Oh no, there's, okay, it's not in the books for me, right? You leave, you're thinking, I wasted my time. Why did I get my hopes up? Why did I invest all this energy into this thing that wasn't gonna work out, right? So today I wanna talk to you about how to single well. How do I single well, okay? You guys are like, no, I don't want to single well. I want to meet the person. I want that kind of message. I don't have that one for you. But I do have, how do you single well? Now, the really actually well-known thing that happens in November is kind of the beginning of the holidays, right? And so holidays, we have Thanksgiving at the end of the month. This is when families get together. And so I wanted to do a quick PSA for all of you who are married. Um, When you're at your family gatherings this year, here's three things not to ask single people. This is just my PSA to you. Three things, don't ask these. Maybe you have a niece, a nephew, and you're wondering, hey, what's going on? These are the things don't ask, all right? Number one, are you still single? It's the still in that word that's offensive, just so you know. Are you still single? Number two, why aren't you married yet? That's such a good one. You're like, if I knew, maybe I wouldn't, I would be married, okay? So thank you, thank you for that one. Number three, do you even want to get married? Okay, so that's my quick PSA. That's it. Put those in your head. I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to say this to my cousin. All right? Can you guys do that? I'm not even going to ask the single people if they agree with those questions because they will not respond. They will not point themselves out. I did hear that uh, uh, one church was talking about singleness and dating, and they had all the single people stand up. And then they had them look around. I will also not do that to you. Some of you guys are like, I'll do it. (laughs) And then some of you guys, you're going to stand up and your spouse is going to be like, shit, back, back. (laughs) All right. There, um, you know, I think that single people, there are some, some lies that we can actually start believing when we're single, and this could be if you're young, this could be you're old, it doesn't matter what your age is, but there, there's going to be some lies that we can start believing. The first lie that I think that single people can start believing is, you're not married because, and then fill in the blank, right? Whatever it is that goes in your head. You're not married yet because. And we have these, these tapes that play in our head. Oh, I'm not married, maybe because you've had a, a tumultuous past in your relationships, right? Maybe it's because you say, I'm not married because I'm not Christian enough. I'm not holy enough. Maybe I'm not married because of whatever it is that we have in our head. And the truth is, is that this is a question of worth. This is a question of our own self-worth. And nobody is married because they are more worth more. Nobody's single because they're worth more. Nobody's married because they're worth less, and nobody's single because they're worth less. It doesn't, marriage doesn't have anything to do with your personal intrinsic worth. The Bible says that God created every single one of us. It doesn't say that he created Adam and Eve and then it was a domino effect and we're all here. No, he, they get, it gets personal in the Bible. It says God created you. He knows you. He formed you. God created you. Because you are an image bearer of God, you have great worth. And so this idea that I'm not married because of something is just a lie that we can fall into. The second one is you are incomplete until you are married. 
This is also not true. You're not incomplete until you are married. Every single one of us, well, let me, I'm going to start over. And the goal of the Christian walk, the goal of the Christian life is not to get married. And maybe you guys have been to a Bible college and you say, what? <laughs> Just kidding. But that was a very niche joke. <laughs> like six people who went to Bible college are like, <laughs> okay. Um, but that's not, that's actually not the goal of your Christian walk. Your Christian walk is pursuing Jesus. Yeah whether you're married or single. And so it has nothing to do, well, once I get married, then my life begins. No, your life began when you were born. Your life began, right, when when you, you were alive. That's when your life began. And so you're not incomplete when you're not married. God created marriage, but marriage is not the goal of our Christian walk. The, the pursuit of Jesus is the goal. We should each receive our situation in life as a gift of God's grace to us. Wherever we're at in life, it's God's gift. It's his grace to us. Paul even talks about in the New Testament, he, he, the great apostle Paul, he says, I think it would be better if none of you get married, right? And he's saying that as himself. He's not saying that like God told me it would be better if none of you get married, right? And so we read that and we're like, what happened to you, Paul? What happened in your life? Some, 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 who, who hurt you? It was your parents or maybe he was married before. I don't know what happened to Paul. But he's saying, hey, I think it's better if nobody gets married. Right? So it's not something that this is the only way your life really begins when you're married. That's not true. Those are two just lies that I think we believe. But how do we single well? Is there a manual? Is there a way? How am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to live this part of my life or the rest of my life well? How do I do it right? And this message is specifically to single people, but if you're married in this room, this message is also for you. Every single one of us, every single thing I say, it's going to be applicable to us no matter what. Obviously, if I give you any dating advice, that's not applicable to you. I won't do that, though. <laughs> so <laughs> in 2 Timothy 2.22, um, this is Paul. He's reading to a young pastor named Timothy, and he gives him this advice. He says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. There are directives in the Bible about how we are supposed to live our sexual life. And I know this might be a surprise to you. I'm just kidding. I think everybody knows this, right? There are things in the Bible. The Bible says, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do this. And largely in our society, we like to ignore this part of the Bible. We like to go to church on Sunday and have like our spirit, right? Have that emotional part of us, the heart of us, right? Be like, oh, I'm so connected to God. And then the pastors, they say, you should also read your Bible. And we don't do that part. We don't let the spiritual, the spiritual part of us, we don't really let it intersect with who we actually are, with our physical bodies. And this, this is not how we were made to live. God actually created you. He made you. He formed you, which means he knows what's best for you. And that's a difficult thing for every single one of us to swallow. Because when we just know that we know that what we're doing is the right way to be, it's difficult for someone to come in and say, actually, God says do it this way. And every single time we have one of those moments, we have this decision to make where we say, I'm going to trust that God knows me better than I know myself, or I'm going to do it my own way. 
And, and um, we, I have this really long quote for you. It's all about worldview. So this is really important because in our culture, we have a worldview that says that your mind, your, your, this part of you that thinks, is much more important than your body. We have a worldview that says that we are just here by accident. And I'm sure every single one of us have heard this, right? That there's no reason for your life. And you might think like, well, that's not really a big deal. It is a big deal. Because this is why we feel such hopelessness. If there's no reason for my existence, then why, why am I here? What does it matter what I do? What does it matter what I do with my body? What does it matter what I do to other people? What does it matter if I am just natural, if I am just part of nature, correct? But that's not what we believe as Christians. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to ask you to stick with me. Read along with the words. It's a bit heady, but it's really important. Every ethic stems from a view of nature. So every ethic, we're gonna be looking at the Bible today and it's gonna tell us an ethic. Every ethic stems from a view of nature. In this case, talking about how we are today, from a materialistic view that says, nature is a product of blind material forces. The body is reduced to a collection of cells and organs that the mind is free to use for its own purposes, like any other natural resource. This dualistic view of the human being, one that denigrates the body in favor of the mind. So my brain is, what, is what's important, and this body is just something that I have. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. By contrast, a Christian ethic respects the human body as part of a created order that declares the glory of God. This is from Psalms 19. It says, all of um, creation declares the glory of God. So even your own body declares the glory of God. The implication is that the human being is a psychophysical unity. Not, you guys are like, I've met some psychophysicals, right? No, that's not what this is saying. This is saying that your mind and your body are connected. They're unified. They are not separate. How you think affects what you do. How you feel affects how you are. You are connected. You are not separate. The body has value and dignity as an integral part of the whole person. Scripture proclaims the profound value of the material realm as the handiwork of a loving God. That's why biblical morality places great emphasis on the fact of human embodiment. Respect for the person is inseparable from respect for the body. We respect our body we respect other people's bodies because we realize we were all created by God. Because every single person is handiwork of God. Every single person is an image bearer of God. This is really important as we dive into this to understand that God didn't just give us a bunch of rules that seem archaic. No, he formed you. It's like a manual for who you actually are. That when God says, hey, this kind of behavior hurts you, he knows you better than you know yourself. This is why we have such destruction in our world today, where people are so riddled with so many addictions and so many problems. It's because their bodies, they've let their bodies be out of control. And they've decided it doesn't matter what I do with my body. It only matters my mind. And this is what we see in our society today. But God's saying something else. It does matter. What you do matters. And so this is what um, Paul is saying in 2 Timothy. He's saying, run away from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. 
Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. This is what he's talking about. He's saying, don't just play around with this area of your life. He's saying, run away from anything that stimulates youthful lust. What is he saying? Anything in our life that causes us to sin. Anything in your life that tempts you to sin. As Christians, we very much like to walk the line. Right? We like to walk the line of what tempts us to sin. We say, well, you know, how far is too far? Or, you know, everybody else is allowed to do these things, so I should be allowed to do these things. Or, you know, this is fine for other people, so it should be fine for me. We like to stay along the line of what is right or wrong. And what Paul is saying is the exact opposite. He's saying, run away. Don't, don't go along the line. During worship, I kind of had this funny picture of if you had someone in your life who was a cocaine addict, had, had had problems with cocaine, right? And they're living with you in your home. You wouldn't then just leave cocaine everywhere. Right? All of us get that. Some of you guys are, have more access to cocaine than I ever have in my entire life. But you wouldn't just be like, oh, it's no big deal. He can just be stronger. It's no problem. Right? When we know someone has an addiction to something, then we, we try to help them along. But when it comes to our sexual purity, we don't do this at all. We set ourselves up for failure. We put everything everywhere and we think, oh, I'm going to be fine. We're, you're not going to be fine. You won't be fine. We put temptation all around us and we just let ourselves have an open um, display all the time of temptation. And then we think, I don't know why I keep falling in this area. And this is literally like having a cocaine addict and being like, I don't know why they keep doing cocaine. It's because it's everywhere. It's all around you. And this is what Paul is saying. Don't just have it all around you. If you know something causes you to sin, run away from it. Get away from it. If you know, hey, I can't date somebody, and I will sleep with them. Every person I date, I sleep with. In case, in case you didn't know, the Bible actually says all sexual contact is for inside of marriage. And so what, if we say, hey, I, I can't, I can't, what, what should you do then? How do I run away from that? Do I just not date anybody? Maybe for a little bit, you should not date anybody. Pursue Jesus. And then maybe have a chaperone. You're like, that's ridiculous. I'm 53 years old. <laughs> but listen, if I don't want to sin, if I want to live for God, if I want to do it right, then maybe I need to help myself. If you know I can't have a smartphone in any way, this is my temptation. This is, I always stumble. I always am going to mess up. Then don't have one. Get rid of it. We don't just like lay them out. No problem, no problem. It is a problem. So we get rid of it. Get one of those gab phones that they have for teenagers. And you'll be like, but I'm not a teenager. Who cares? This is so important to God. We don't talk about sin a whole lot in our culture, right? Because we would rather it be that we are just, you know, a little bit sad and, and Jesus wants to be nice and love us. But the truth is that we serve a God who is holy, we serve this holy God that says, hey, I, I know the right way for you. And I'm asking you to be holy as I am holy. That's what he says to us. So he doesn't say just play around with it and I don't mind. No, he says, are you going to be serious about rooting out the things in your life that have continued to harm you? that have continued to hurt you? Are you gonna take a serious look back at the destruction behind you and say, God, I don't wanna live that way anymore. I don't wanna keep living destruction. You know one of the worst things as a parent, 
that one of the things that really makes you want to deal with sin in your life is when you start to see the effects of your own sin on them. And you think, oh, Lord, okay, I'm ready to root this out of my life because I don't want to keep punishing them. This is the kind of, of, of holy um, discontent God wants us to have, to be people that say, I want to be pure. I want to be pure and holy because God is pure and holy. They're talking about embodiment, right? Talking about how your mind and your body are unified. This actually is in the scriptures it says that your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That God wants to dwell inside of you. The creator of the universe wants to actually dwell inside of you. And some of us need to look at our lives and say, man, it's a bit dirty in here. You want to dwell in here? Don't look in the closets. So God says, come on. I'm not in condemnation, not in sin. I mean, not in shame. But he's saying, hey, come on, there's a better way. There's a better way. Flee it. Don't just have it around easy access. Flee. Maybe for you, you have a great temptation from social media. You can't be on social media. Immediately, you're DMing people that you shouldn't DM. Right? Or immediately, you're wanting someone's life that you don't have. Just get rid of it. Flee. Don't play around with it. Flee youthful lusts. And then I love this, what Paul writes, because he's not saying just run for no reason, just run away, just run towards a wall. No, he actually tells us what to run towards. Can you put the scriptures on the screen? Uh, 2 Timothy 2.22, you guys can just leave them up there. But he actually tells us what we need to run towards. It's a beautiful thing. He's saying, run away from that, but pursue. And then he lists five things to pursue. And that's really what we're going to talk about today, is pursuing these things. The first thing he says is pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness literally means right living. So just try to live right. Pursue living right. That you make a direction in your heart and say, God, I was living my own way. I was doing whatever I wanted, but I'm turning towards you, and now I want to live right. Now, what is right? You might say, well, I, I don't know what right is. And this is really easy. We can go back to Jesus' you know, two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So whenever you're doing anything, if you're at work and you're belittling a coworker and you're trying to get ahead and you're trying to make sure that the boss knows you're better than you stop yourself and you say, hmm, am I loving that coworker in the same way I'm loving myself? Would I want that coworker to do this to me? No, God commanded me to love my neighbor as myself. When you want to get in, you know, you're, you're married and you're like, I'm going to get into this person's DMs. I'm going to talk to them. We're going to talk about this. I'm going to share my heart. And then you have to think, wait, would I want my husband to do this? No, I'm not loving him the way that I want to be loved. So every single thing to know what right living, we just have to take this thing. Am I loving my neighbor in the same way that I love myself? Am I prioritizing other people in the same way that I prioritize myself? Live without guilt and sin. The easiest way to have a clean life, which none of us can do, is to just never sin, right? But it's in my pursuit of right living that, man, it's so beautiful. It's so good. I can live without so much guilt because I can say, God, I'm just facing towards you. The second one is pursue faithfulness. Pursue righteous living and pursue faithfulness. Faithfulness, what does that mean? It means become a person who is true, who is constant, who is dependable, who is stable. 
Think about, I'm, I'm, I'm single, I want to get married. Become that constant person. Become a faithful person. That when pe- someone asks you, will you do this thing? They know that if you say, I'm going to do it, you will do it. I will do that thing. I want to be that kind of person. That I'm stable, I'm dependable, I'm true. That people know that if I say yes, I will do it. This is something we have three little kids, so we talk about it all the time. Did you tell your sibling they could have the Nintendo? Yes, but now I, nope, you said it. You have to be a person of your word. You need to do it. It's the same way in our lives. Did you say it? Are you, are you faithful? Are you dependable? Are you true? The third one, pursue love. Uh, when I was a, a young uh, or an older elementary kid, our church had this program where we had to memorize 1 Corinthians 13, the entire chapter, and it was really hard. I remember working really hard, you know, as a probably 10-year-old to memorize this entire chapter. And now, as an adult, I'm so grateful because I think about this chapter all the time. It's called the love chapter in the Bible. And one of the verses says, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, isn't proud, it isn't rude, it isn't self-seeking, keeps no record of wrong. It hopes all things, endures all things. I don't remember the other two. I need you, Lori. Believes all things. It's a beautiful passage. This is what love is. Are are you running after love? God, will you you make inside of me that I would be a person like that? And And I would challenge you in every single one of your relationships. Filter it through this. Am I loving like this? Love is patient. Oh, I'm not always patient. So when I'm impatient, it's not me loving. Love is kind. When I mean, it's not me being loving. Love isn't rude. Love doesn't keep a record of wrong, it says. Are we keeping a record in our relationships? Are we saying, okay, I'm forgiving and I'm moving on. I'm going to pursue love in my life. I'm going to pursue being a person of love. The next one is pursue peace. Pursue peace. Peace literally means freedom from disturbance. So do you have peace in your life? We live in a very disturbed time, right? You can open the news anytime and you can have 1,000 things to be worried about. You're like, I didn't even know I needed to worry about this. And now I get to be worried, right? That's, that's, our, that's our world. You can be worried about things going on at work, worried about things that are going on in your family. But peace says, no, I will not worry. God actually says in the Bible, do not worry. Which is kind of mean. He doesn't say you should not. He just says don't do it. Why? Because he's saying I've called you to be a person of peace. Freedom from disturbance. That everything else in the world can be disturbed. There can be terrible things happening. But here, inside of this bubble, it's peace. Because I know I'm the Lord's. He is mine. He's ordered my steps. Before the foundation of the world, that's what the Bible says, he ordered your steps before you. So he already knows what's going to happen. So it doesn't change anything for me to worry all night about it. And become a person that says, I'm going to have peace. At one point, Jake and I in our lives, we were in a situation that was very uh, disturbing. And it was really difficult, and we were bringing all of these issues home with us. And we had little kids, like, like little babies. And we were realizing, we're bringing all this stress from out there into our house, and now our house isn't fun. And so we kind of just made a pact together and we said, home is always gonna be awesome. No matter what's going on out there, no matter what's happening in the world, home's gonna be awesome. 
We're not going to let all of the disturbance out there enter here. And we, we, we really did that for our own kids, but it helped change our own lives. Because then it was awesome for us, too. Everything could be happening out there, but in here, I have the Prince of Peace. And so I can be free from disturbance. So many times people will say to, to Jake or to I or to both of us, like, you guys are so safe, or you guys are calm, or calm and unanxious presence. My very favorite one is uh, a couple of youth camps and girls. This girl said, you just have such good vibes. And I said, <laughs> no. What, what is that? It's just you saying, God, we, I want to be a temple of your Holy Spirit. God, I, I, I want to be used by you. God, I'm, I'm not going to be a person who is swayed by all the things happening in society or all the things happening in my family or all the things that I could be worried about. I'm just going to trust you. And that's a daily decision. It's a daily decision to say, no, I'm not going to panic. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust in God, pursue peace. And the last thing it says is enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. This is beautiful. God is not telling you to do this alone. He's not telling you to just run, run by yourself until maybe you can not run alone. Like how depressing is that? No, he says do this. Enjoy the companionship. Enjoy the friends, those who call on the Lord with pure heart. God wants you to find your tribe. He wants you to have a group of people around you who will cry with you, who will pray with you, who will laugh with you. He wants you to find those 3 a.m. friends. A few weeks ago, my, my sister and her family, they were driving in the middle of the night home from Portland, and she called me, and my phone was on Do Not Disturb, so I didn't even know how it rang. And it, it rang, so I answered the phone, and she's like, our car, it just broke down, but it's, it's working again. But I was just wondering, if it breaks down again, will you come get me? Of course I'm going to come get you. Jake later, the next morning, when I told him what happened, or maybe that night, I don't remember, I told him what happened. He was like, I will go get them. <laughs> He's like, you're not going to go get them. I'm going to go get them. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But what, what? I'm her 3 a.m. friend. I'm there for her. She knew if I call my sister, she will drive down the freeway and she will save me and my family. Do you have 3 a.m. friends in your life? Listen, I'm not your 3 a.m. friend. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not. I'm already my husband's 3 a.m. friend. I'm my kid's 3 a.m. friend. I'm my family's 3 a.m. friend. I have 3 a.m. friends. If anybody on our church staff, if any of our elders, if they ever were like, we need this, we, need, we would drop everything to help them. There wouldn't be a question, unless it was silly. Like, I dropped my ice cream cone. We'd be like, pick it up. <laughs> you guys hear what I'm saying? You need people in your life that you know I can call on them. And some of you guys in this room, you say, I don't have those people. I don't have any friends. I'm alone. I'm challenging you to go and make some friends. This is like the difficulty of the adult life is to go and make friends. When my child was um, like three years old, we were walking in Hendricks Park, and, and she's always been the most social human alive. We used to drive by schools, and she would see kids playing on the playground, and she'd put her hands on the window. I was like, okay. But she's the most social human. And so she said, oh, there's kids, there's kids. Can I say hi? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, run and say hi. She runs up to them, and they're like five and seven years old, so they're older than her. And she goes, want to be my best friend? And they just looked at her, and then they ran off, you know, and so she's like, so I, you know, I went up to her, and I said, that was so good. You did so good. Listen, you came on a little strong. <laughs> Next time, start with, start with, you want to play, maybe, or um, you want to be my friend, right? 
But I'm challenging you guys to do the same thing. I've done the same thing in my life, where I come through times where I realize I don't really have any friends. Who would I call? If, if everything went down, who would I call? And you, you know, I've literally gone to people and say, hey, do you want to be my friend? I've done that. Not because I'm so bold, but because I realize I need companions in my life. And this verse, it's saying not just any companions. It's not saying just go to your Eugene Rec badminton team, right? It's not just anybody. It's saying companions who call on the Lord with pure hearts. He's telling you to grab hold, grab arms with other people who love Jesus, who are running after him, who are pursuing these things, who are saying, hey, we're fleeing youthful lust and we're pursuing righteousness, faithfulness, love, peace. We are doing this together. Find those people. Find them here. Find them in the church. Find your community. Get in a joy group. Find a joy group and say, you're my friends now. So sorry. You're going to love it. <laughs> Most of the time it's great. Sometimes it's real dark, right? That's how we all are. But be bold. Find some people who can run with you. Don't do this alone. And this is a challenge for every single one of us who is married, who does have family. The Bible says that church is family. It says that we, God calls the solitude into families. Who are those families? They're us. If you have a beautiful family, invite the lonely in it. Invite them to dinner. Invite them to join you for game night. You guys are like, I don't have game night. Start a game night. Invite them over. Invite them to see the chaos of trying to get a toddler to eat their dinner. Right? It doesn't have to be perfect. We act like, well, when I have this perfect life or this perfect home or this perfect, no. Invite them in the mess. They just want to be part of a family. And that's our call as Christians. We're, we're literally called to be family to the lonely to be family to the single people, to be family to the widows, to be family to the brokenhearted. He calls the solitude into family and we're the family. Find your tribe. You know, it says in a couple verses right above, maybe you're here and you say, well, I don't know. I, I have, you know, I have, I have this past. I have all these things. And whenever we talk about relationships, all this stuff gets brought up. And the goal for today is for not for you to leave feeling condemned. It's not for you to leave feeling worse. It's for, you, it's for you to leave realizing God has given me a track to run on. God has given me a track that I can run on. And just a couple verses earlier, it says in um, verse 20, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. This is saying that in God's house, it's an awesome house, it's a palace, and you know you've, you've got dishes in your house that you, you, you guys probably know you've heard of the throw-up bucket, right? We have the throw-up bucket, and then we have great, great Aunt Bertha's punch bowl that we only use at Christmas. There's dishonorable use and there's honorable use. But the beauty of this verse is he's saying, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use. You're not trapped. You say, well, I've already done all this. It doesn't matter anymore. No, God says starting today, you can be a new creation. You can be new. Clean yourself from the dishonorable use, and he wants to use you. He, it says he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master. That's meaning to God, that you are useful to God. 
He wants to use you. And there's no point in our life where we say, well, I've gone too far. No, God says, turn towards me. At any point, you turn towards me, and I'm ready to use you. And you can be of honorable use, ready for every good work. God has good works for every single one of us. But we have to be people that say, God, I'm ready to be used by you. If everyone would just bow their head and close their eyes right now, maybe you're in this room and you say, you know, I've made mistakes, I've messed up. Listen, every single person in this room has made mistakes and messed up. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So many times people would come to Jesus and they'd say, oh, I'm so great. What else can I do that is great? And he would turn them away. Why? Because Jesus wanted people who are humble. People who say, I, I have messed up. I can't do it on my own. I need a savior. That's what God is looking for is people who say, God, I need you. I can't do it without you. A heart that is humble that says, I need a savior to save me. Maybe you're in this room and you don't know Jesus. Jesus is the one that we talk about. Jesus is the one that we sing about. Jesus is the reason that we gather. Jesus is the one who saved our lives. And I just encourage you today, turn towards Jesus. And maybe you don't know him. Today you can know him. He's right there. The Bible says if you will knock, he'll open the door. And so I just ask you today, if you don't know Jesus, we're just going to say a prayer. It's basically your way of saying, God, I'm knocking on the door. And he says, here, come on in. I'm opening the door for you. If you don't know Jesus, would you just open or lift up your hand? I'm not doing this to embarrass you. Just lift up your hand so we can see you in the room. It's just a way for you to say, God, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm making a decision today, a moment. If you don't have a relationship with him, just lift up your hand. Thank you. Anybody else in the room? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else in the room? What we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer. And like I said, it's like you saying, God, I'm knocking on the door. What we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, I believe you are God. I'm not God. And God, I know I've done wrong, and I need you to save me. And I'm giving you my life. That's what we do. So in just a moment, we're going to all pray together. Everyone's going to pray so you don't feel singled out. So if everyone right now will just pray with me. Dear Jesus, God, I thank you for living for me. God, I thank you for dying for me. God, I know I've done, I've done wrong. I know I've hurt people. Would you forgive me? Would you help me be like you? I put my faith in you, Jesus. Will you save my life and help me be more like you? In Jesus' name, amen.